Father, we thank You for this gorgeous day out. We thank You for being here with us and for allowing us to study Your Word. It's a great privilege, Father, to open its pages and understand what it says. And I pray that as uh, we study this particular topic that You would help us to be sobered by the reality of it, Father. Many of the people that we rub shoulders with every day are going to spend an eternity away from You. And I pray that that would give us pause to think and also spur us on to share the good news with them. Thank you again for this time in Christ's name. Amen. Last week we started the discussion on um, eternal destiny of mankind. Um, This is sort of in between the doctrine of man and the doctrine of sin. Um, And we talked about the reality of hell. Let's go back here. Previous slide. No, don't want to end the show. Hit the wrong button. That's what happens when you hit the wrong button. And uh, last week we finished talking about the scariest passage in the Bible. Anybody know what that is? Other than don't look at the screen. Anybody remember what it was? Matthew. What's the second scariest? Revelation. Scariest passage in the Bible to me is Matthew chapter 7 because what happens there is there are people that are standing before God before the final judgment and they are totally confused as to why they're there. They don't understand. What what am I doing here? Um, I I said, Lord, Lord. I, I claimed your name. I did wonderful works in your name. I preached. I may have been a missionary for many years. I may have done... All kinds of things. And and what am I doing here? And of course, Christ's response there is, Depart from me. I never knew you. Um, It's not what you do for God that matters. It's do you know God. And we talked about that. There is one way to God. There is only one way. And that is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you come any other way, you're a thief and a robber. And unfortunately, we live in a world where many people think, if you you stop and ask the average person on the street, quick, tell me, um, do you believe in heaven or hell? And if they would say yes, ask them, where do you think you're going? And you'd be surprised at how many people think they're going to heaven. Everybody thinks they're going there, right? Um, The only people that don't go to heaven are the really, really, really bad people. And I'm not one of the really, really bad people. Um, it was interesting this, if you follow the news this year, this week, um, you've probably read about Farrah Fawcett who passed away this week of cancer. And um, if you go to the only official sanctioned truthful news site called Fox News, <laughs> all right, not Clinton News Network, CNN, but Fox News, um, it was interesting to see some of the quotes. Uh, if you know anything about Farrah Fawcett, she was a movie star for many years. She married Lee Majors for a, for a little bit of time. She was his wife, Farrah Fawcett Majors. And then she divorced him. And I guess for the last 17 years, she was with uh, o- uh, O'Neill. Um, lived with, I think it's Ryan O'Neill lived with him. Um, and something I didn't know, which is probably a good thing I didn't know this, but uh, she posed for Playboy in 1995. And I guess that was the number one selling Playboy magazine of the 90s. Um, I didn't even know that, which is probably a good thing, thankfully. Um, (laughs) You got it. You got the joke. That's good. Uh, But uh, here's a person who 
gave every indication of living their life just doing their own thing. And here's some interesting quotes came out from um, some of her co-workers um, that worked with her on Charlie's Angels. Remember, that was her first big uh, movie g- or show gig, Charlie Angels. Um, Ryan O'Neill said she's gone. She now belongs to the ages. She's now with her mother and sister and her guide. That's Ryan O'Neill's take on it. Um, she said she was in and out of consciousness. Talked her all through the night. I told her how much I loved her. She's in a better place now. That's Ryan O'Neill. Um, Jacqueline Smith, who starred with her on Charlie's Angels, said Farrah had courage. She had strength. She had faith. Now she has peace, and she rests with the real angels. Um, Cheryl Ladd, she was incredibly brave, and God will be welcoming her with open arms. That's the world's take on this. Um, Now again, we've said before, none of us can know 100% for certain beyond any shadow of a doubt somebody's eternal destiny. That is between them and God. But when you look at someone who's lived their life in total... Um, indifference to God, indifference to Christ, indifference to the truth of the Word of God, you have to stop and wonder. But the world today, would, most everybody in the world would say, if you die and you're a good person, you go to heaven. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was checking out the grocery store and uh, Martha Reeser, who's a gal I went to church with back in LaGrange in a prior life, she was in the youth group there, said, did you know that Janet Messer passed away? Janet was a gal on our quiz team. She went to the national championships with us up in Word of Life um, in 1977. And uh, she was on our quiz team. And she said, did you know that Janet Messer passed away? And I, she's younger than me, about two years. I said, no, what, what is this? And, and I don't know. She just suddenly died. You know, no, out of nowhere, she just died. And um, last weekend, I was with the pastor at LaGrange Church where we went to church. And I asked him about... Janet, and he said, well, she had an aneurysm. She woke up and feeling bad on a Monday and was in pain, and they called the ambulance, and on the way to the hospital, she died. An aneurysm. Just like that, out of the blue. No no warning. And he said, I went to the uh, funeral, and uh, he said, I was really upset because uh, there was no mention of Christ, no mention of God, no mention of the Bible. Just be a good person, be live a good life, and you'll be okay. And here's a lady who or a gal who I went to youth group with for many years. Spent 20 years after, after youth group, never went to church, never darkened the door of a church, never had any, any, different, any, any um, proof of any connection to God. Now again, of course, we don't know. Is she really there or not? We, we don't know that. But a lot of people think they're going to be there. They're going to go to heaven. And that's the great deception. And, and Christ is warning us about that. It's interesting when Christ came and talked about people's eternal destiny, you realize he talked more about hell than he ever did about heaven. That's like me coming back from Hawaii and telling you about Antarctica. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, you, you'd seem to think that Christ would talk about heaven. Instead, he talked about hell. He warned people of hell. He warned people of the reality of that. And again, the scariest passage here, you've got two ways. There's the broad way, the narrow way. There's two paths. There's a very easy path. And that's the way the world thinks about it, right? Just, just be a good person. Don't do anything really, really bad. Contribute to society a little bit. And you're okay. You know, God, God will welcome you, as Cheryl Ladd said. God will welcome Pharaoh with open arms. It doesn't cost anything to get on the broad way. It's pretty easy. 
Lots of stops, lots of rest stops. No real um, adversity on that path. And then you got the narrow path. That's tough to get into. It's hard to get through the gate. And when you get through the gate, it's a hard hike. Um, I've been on a few hikes in my lifetime. I'd like to go on more, but I've been on a few. And I've found that the best hikes are the hardest hikes. Right, Dave? I mean, you go to... You go out to Rocky Mountain National Park and you take the wussy hikes. And, you know, there, there's some nice things there. But you want to really want to see the backcountry. You really want to see the beauty of God's creation. You get off the beaten path. You go up the rocky side. You go up the hard path. That's, that's where you get it. And what Christ is saying here is you want to get to heaven, you take the hard way, not the easy way. You take the hard way. Because at the head of the paths, what do we have? We have two types of prophets, right? You've got the true prophet... And then you've got the false prophet. The false prophet says, hey, come on this path, this leads to heaven. And no, the, 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 the labels on the gates here are not this way to hell, this way to heaven. It's everybody's going to heaven. This is the way to heaven. Take this path, you'll make it. How do you know what they're like? Well, there's two different kinds of trees, right? The good tree that bears good fruit, the bad tree that bears bad fruit. And there are two destinies. And all of humanity is going to be one or the other. Every person that you come into contact with, every person you see, every person you're acquainted with is going to be in one of two places in eternity, heaven or hell. And the message of the gospel is, make sure you know which way you're going. Make sure you know the right path. Because reality, hell is a reality. Now let's, let's look at hell, and I don't know why I'm getting this thing here. Next slide. There you go. What are some of the names for hell? As you, as you look through the Bible, um, there are different names for hell that, that you see. And in the Old Testament, um, it, it's really not, uh, I don't want to put it, it's not as clear about the eternal destiny of people in the Old Testament as it is in the New. Um, the Old Testament has a word for death called Sheol, which means the hollow place. Sort of like the low place, the hollow place. And that was sort of used as the common name for the afterlife in the Old Testament. Um, the full understanding of a place of torment and a place of rest was not known very well in the Old Testament. It was sort of there hinted at, but it was really not clarified. And it's a general term that refers to the realm of the dead. For instance, David said, you know, he talked about when his son went to, died, he went to Sheol. And when, um, in the account of uh, Samuel and Saul, when Saul called up Samuel, he came up out of Sheol out of the place of the dead, out of the resting place. Um, no real distinction is made there. And again, it's used 65 times in the Old Testament, this word Sheol. It's just a general place, general name referring to the place of the dead. All right. Um, it talks, for example, Sheol is used in Isaiah chapter 14, where it talks about the king of Babylon being brought down to Sheol, to the sides of the pit. Um, it talks about that. Um, so it's just a common term. There's, there's, there's really no great distinction in the Old Testament about what it's like in the afterlife. It's just that people go there. And see, this again, we talked about the various views of immortality and, and, and eternal destinies last week. The Bible always, always, always talks about you living forever somewhere. There's no concept in the scripture about you just going out of existence. You don't just disappear. And, and you know, we, we talk about Ecclesiastes. Some people say, well, what about Ecclesiastes? You know, what about you know, Ecclesiastes where it says that when you're dead, you're dead? Well, Solomon is talking from the human perspective. And from the human perspective, 
when you're dead, you're dead, right? I mean, from the human perspective. And he's talking about if there's no God, if there's no eternal realities, if there's nothing like that, then you know, you're better off to be a live dog than a dead lion. You're better off, in, in, in parlance, you're better off to be a live poor person than a dead rich one. Um, because when you're dead, you're gone. But the Bible knows nothing of you dying and just going out of existence. You're going to continue someplace. Hades. Hades is the term that's mostly used in the New Testament. Um, if you want to think about it, it is the formal name of the place of the unrighteous dead. It's called Hades. It, um, now, let's understand, um, just as an aside here, a lot of modern liberal scholars say, well, the Bible copied their concept of the afterlife from Greek mythology, right? You ever study Greek? Anybody here study Greek mythology and you know Hades is Greek mythology and the, who's the god of Hades? Remember him? I forget his name. I can just start blank. But there's, they have a god of Hades and a god of this and a god of that. Um, but uh, the Bible talks about this as the place of the unrighteous dead. Now let's understand something right here. Greek mythology or whatever religion does not... Uh, Christianity does not borrow from them. They borrow from Christianity. So if they happen to borrow it, it came out of Christianity. This is what Christ taught. You don't need to worry about mythology. You don't need to worry about where somebody came up with this thing. You go to the Word of God and what does Christ say? Christ talks about Hades. He talks about this place where the unrighteous dead go. Um, it's used 11 times in the New Testament. Here's all the occurrences of it. Hades. Um, Revelation 1, 18, 6, 8, 20, 13. When it talks about death and hell, the Greek word is death and Hades. All right? Um, 20, 14 talks about and death and hell. Death and Hades was cast into the lake of fire. Um, according to Greek mythology, it's a place of fire and torment, but according to the New Testament, it is a place of fire and torment. Let's look at Luke chapter 16. And we'll find out a little bit about this place. Luke chapter 16. Yes, I did. Um, I said that last week. Okay. I'll tell you later. But yeah, I, I did read it. I got it here for you, too. Oh, wait a minute. I got to get my glasses on so I can read my text here. All right. Um, Luke chapter 16 is the story of rich man and Lazarus. And we're probably all familiar with that story. Um, and again, there's a debate on whether is this a real story or is it a parable. And uh, people have gone back and forth on that, whether it's real or a parable. But don't get hung up on that. The point is the same. Whether it's a real story or a parable, Christ is trying to tell you something. Christ is trying to teach you the big picture. And the big picture is hell, or Hades, this term, the term here, Hades, is a bad place to go to. It's a bad place to go to. What do you have? Well, you have a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. Here's a guy who had it all. He had everything. He could eat whatever he wanted to eat. He dressed in purple and fine linen. That's the clothes of a, of a wealthy nobleman. Everybody liked him. He was on the who's who of the first century. Everybody knew him. He was a very popular guy. And... There's nothing in the text that would indicate that he was an immoral guy. He wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't an evil, wicked person. 
He was a wealthy person. He had it, everything. He had everything his heart's desire. And, and then at and then Christ cause, ca, uh, draws a distinction. At his gate laid a poor man, Lazarus, covered with sores, boils. And uh, he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And you say, that is gross. Christ is trying to make it gross. He's drawing a distinction, right? You've got a guy who has everything. And now here's a guy who has absolutely zero zilch, nothing. He lays at a gate. He's too weak to even get up. He wants to eat crumbs that fall from the table. Scraps of food. And not only that, he's covered with sores and the dogs come and his, lick his sores. And by the way, in those days, the dogs weren't the nice little fee pets that we have today. They were curs. They were scavengers. They were considered unclean animals. And here's a guy who, who, who had it all and a guy who had nothing. And then it says, uh, the poor man died. It was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, the average Pharisee would say, well, it deserves him right. Obviously, he was a bad guy. Obviously, because he didn't have money and he was in such bad condition, he had sinned against God. And God was punishing him. And God took him. I'm sure he went right to hell in their, in their mentality. But what does Christ say? He didn't, did he? Where was he carried? To Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom. In the presence of God. Um, he died. And, and then it says, uh, the rich man also died and was buried. Interesting. Uh, the rich man had a funeral, right? And everybody, everybody on, on whose who's list in Jerusalem you know, showed up at the funeral. And they had the high priest give a eulogy about this guy being such a good guy. And he was buried with great pomp in a beautiful tomb. What about Lazarus? Well, in those days, you've got to understand how it worked in those days. See, when the poor man died, you'd have people go through the streets and they'd just take his body and throw it over the wall into the dump. And he'd rot right there in the dump. No burial, no pomp. Nobody, nobody even knew who the guy's name was. Just throw him, off over, the, throw him over, the, over the wall, into the Valley of Hinnom, it was. And uh, no pomp for him. But in Hades, there's our word, Hades, what did the rich man do? He lifted up his eyes being in torment. And he saw Abraham far off, Lazarus' side, and called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Where did the rich man find himself? Hades. What is Hades like? Well, we can infer some things here. Number one, it's a place of conscious torment, isn't it? He was aware. He, he wasn't unaware. He was aware. Now, some people say, well, he was aware until he got burned up because he gets annihilated. Don't go down that path there. Because Revelation 14 says the smoke of their torment ascends up forever. You don't get out. He was in torment. And he was in flames. You say, well, wait a minute. He's a spirit. How can a spirit be tormented in flames. Well, I don't know. Is it fire like we know it? I don't know that. But whatever effect it had, what was the effect like? Burning. And by the way, those of you who are nurses, I am told that some of the greatest physical pain that can be felt is that of burning. That's the greatest pain that people know. And that is the picture that Christ brings here. This man was in torment. 
And he was inflamed. And what did he desire? He wanted just a drop of water. Just a drop. And he didn't get it. Just, just, just a drop from an anguish. And Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you receive good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. Now he is comforted here and you are in torment. And besides all this, between you, between us and you is a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. What is this? There, there's a separation. What, what you get here is a hint and again, you don't want to. There are people who have gone and drawn whole big theologies and given you a topology of hell. And I don't think that's really what's trying to be taught here. Christ is saying what? There is a split between the place of the righteous and the place of the lost, so that if you're righteous, you can't go to Hades. And if you're in Hades, you can't get over to paradise. There is a gulf fixed. You cannot make it to the other side. You cannot. Once you're there, you are there. Part of the torment, and and again, there's a whole discussion on well, can people in Hades see people in heaven? There's a whole discussion on that. Um, some say yeah, they can. Um, others say no. Christ is just using this as a as an illustration. You can debate that. You do know. I do know this. If you're in Hades, what do you remember? Everything, Everything in life. You remember your life. You remember the times that the gospel was offered. You remember the times that you had an opportunity to escape and you didn't. You're going to remember that and you're going to remember that forever. And not only that, what did he say? He said, well, if you're not going to at least comfort me, send Lazarus to go tell my brothers so they don't come here. Everybody in hell, by the way, everybody in Hades, and I, I use hell, I'm sorry, but it's really Hades, Everybody in Hades is very evangelistic about their relatives. They don't want them to come there. This is a real place. And Christ is saying that this is a real destiny for people. And people go there who think they shouldn't be there. They don't understand, I was a good man, I was a good woman, I lived a good life, I didn't murder anybody, I didn't kill anybody. I even like God, or I like one of my fun movies is Crocodile Dundee. And I remember one statement in there. He said, well, me and God are mates. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? There are people who think that they have some, with some superficial relationship to God. They're okay. And Christ is saying, no, you're not. People are going to be there forever. And when you go there, folks, let's understand something. When you go there, in reality, you don't get out. You don't come back. And, and what did... Abraham tell the rich man, he said, even if Lazarus was to rise from the dead and go back to your brothers, guess what? They wouldn't listen. Think about that one. They wouldn't listen. Even though someone would rise from the dead, they would not listen. Why? Because they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. They have this. But this rich man found himself in Hades. What is Hades? It's a place of torment. It's a place of confinement. Now, is Hades the eternal destiny? No, no it is not. But it's a temporary holding cell. If you think about it. It's like if you were to commit a heinous crime, you would be taken to the county jail and locked up. And you would stay there until your trial. And after your trial, you would be sent to the penitentiary for your time. And that's sort of like what Hades is. Hades is this place 
of confinement. It's a place of torment. It's a place of anguish and pain. And you're going to stay there until the final judgment, in which case you receive your final sentence. It's not a good place to be. It's not a place you want to go. I, I remember a lot of people saying, well, you know, I'm going to go to hell and party with my friends. By the way, there's no beer in hell. There's no parties going on. It's kind of hard to enjoy yourself when your whole system, whole self is on fire in anguish. It's kind of hard to have a good time. There's nothing good about hell, about Hades. There's nothing good about it. It's a place to avoid at all costs. And then there's another place that the Bible uses in the New Testament called Gehenna. Gehenna comes from a valley of Hinnom. Hinnom Valley is the garbage dump in Jerusalem. And in those days, what you would do when you had garbage is you throw it over the wall down into the valley, into the garbage dump, and there were fires down there that burned, and it would burn the refuse. And what went into the garbage dump? Well, human refuse, dead bodies of criminals, dead animals, all the gross stuff. You know, they didn't, they didn't have sanitary things like we think of today. The Valley of Hinnom is still there, but it's not being used as the dump. But in those days, it was the garbage dump. And where did it come from? Well, early on in Jerusalem's history, the Valley of Hinnom was a place where they would burn their children in the fire. There was a god called Chemosh that was a god of the Moabites. And what you did to the god of Chemosh is you would take your child, your baby, and you would burn the baby alive as an offering to this god. And I forget what the Jewish king was, but when he came to power, he took this, this place where they would burn the babies, the shrines in, the, in a religious place down there, and he turned it into the garbage dump so that they would never use it for that. And when Christ wanted to descriptively talk about hell, he would use this. This is the descriptive term. So understand the difference here. Hades is the technical term for the place you go. Gehenna is a descriptive term to tell you what it is like in hell. It's a descriptive term. It was used to refer to the garbage dump. And, and this is where um, in the New Testament and it talks about um, when Christ talks about where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, he's using Gehenna. And the only time outside of the Gospels it's used is James 3.6 where it talks about how the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity and set on fire of Gehenna. All right? it's, it's a place... And every Jew who heard him use this term understood exactly what he's talking about because they could walk over to the wall and look down and see it. It was a place of putrid, decaying, gross stuff that was burned there. There were worms that you know, ate the decaying flesh. It was a place of vileness. And that's the description of hell. What is, what is Hades? What is, what is this place like? It's a place of... Think about it as God's garbage dump. The God's garbage dump of eternity. All the gross stuff goes there. It's a place of fire. It's a place where the worm does not die. Now, there are going to be literal worms in hell. Um, I don't think that's what Christ is trying to say here. He's trying to use a descriptive term. How can I get across to people the, the, the horrid nature of the place that they're going to? And he used the garbage dump, the, the grossest place in Jerusalem to refer to this place of unending torment and and fire and, and just a place you don't want to be. Associated with unquenchable fire. Gehenna. It's a place you don't want to be. Yeah. It talks about it. It's better to have one of your 
arms cut off than to be cast into Gehenna. It's better to have your right eye plucked out than to be cast into Gehenna. It's a descriptive term. Yes, unclean. And, and in fact, in, the, in Revelation, it talks about let him who is... I forget the exact wording in Revelation. We can look it up in Revelation, I think, 21 and 22. It talks about a day of eternal fixation where if you're unclean, you'll be forever unclean. It's a place of uncleanness, a place of vileness, a place of decay, a place of torment. Bible that, that died or was taken to hell and brought back. No. So not, that's possible. No, not... Paul talks about... There's an allusion in Paul's writings about being caught up to the third heaven. Um, and some say, some Bible commentators would say that he had a vision of heaven. There is no, no indication anywhere in the New Testament that any human being, person, went to hell and came back. All we know about hell is what Christ told us about hell. And what, what, what the Holy Spirit says through the inspired writings. Yeah. Um, I, I, would, I would have issue with him actually going there. Um, and that, that's, you know, we've talked about, you know, how people, you've got books out there where some guy said, well, I died and I went to hell and I came back. And um, did he really go there? I, I don't think you really went there. If you really went there, you don't come back. Um, the, I think there are other explanations for that. But all that aside, what are all those books sort of telling you about hell? You don't want to go there. <laughs> Whatever it is like, you don't want to be there. And if I want, and really, if I want to know what hell is like, I'm going to go to Christ who tells me what it is. I'm going to go to the Bible. That will tell me what it is really, really like. Yeah. I can't write down. Yeah. I just know. I, I believe this. I believe this. When somebody dies and they're truly dead, you don't come back. Okay. You don't come back. Um, can you have certain experiences between the life and death where you don't actually really die, but you sort of, you know, like an out-of-body experience or something like that? Well, Paul apparently may have had one of those. You know, and you can't discount that. I do know this. The Bible teaches when you're dead, you don't come back. You don't die and come back. Unless, unless those rare, rare, rare exceptions where somebody was raised from the dead, like Lazarus was raised from the dead. When you're dead, it's irreversible. You don't come back. All right? And, that, and that's taught throughout the Scripture. That's about as best we can do on that. Um, but anyways, moving on. Gehenna is the descriptive place. It's a place of rotting, filthy, icky, yuck. And you don't want to be there. And, and that's the best term Christ could use to describe what this was like so that people would understand it. Now, there's another place that's often talked about in the New Testament called the abyss, the abusos. Um, in the Greek term, it's the abusos. Um, 
often you'll see the bottomless pit. All right, in the New Testament, um, it talks about in Revelation 20 about the bottomless pit. Um, remember when when Christ met the maniac of Gadarenes, and what did the demons beg him not to do? Don't send us into the abyss. Don't send us into this abusas. Um, the Greek term for abusas is really the the lowest place in hell. That's that's sort of what their mythology had. The abusas was the lowest place. There's hell in the lowest, grossest, ickiest place. There was the pit, the bottomless pit. And uh, when you look at it in the New Testament, it's used exclusively to refer to the abode of bound demons. Nowhere does it talk about people going to the abyss. It talks about demons going to the abyss. Um, for example, let me give you an example. The maniac of gatherings, right? The, the demons begged Christ not to send them to the pit, to the abyss. All right. Um, in Revelation, what happens when the key to the, the bottomless pit is open? What happens? Smoke like demons come out. There are demons that come out of the abyss. Where is Satan bound for a thousand years? The abyss. All right. So whenever you see the word abyss, it always it's always in connection with demons or Satan, angelic beings. It's never used to refer to people. It's used to refer to demons. And so my inference from that is that Hades is to a human being what the abyss is to demons. Right? Follow that? The abyss is to a demon what Hades is to a human being. It's a place of confinement. It's a place of torment. They don't want to go there. Now, are there demons bound in the abyss right now? Yes, there are. And we talked about this way back, you know, about the demon, the angels that sinned in the days of Noah. Where are they at? They are bound in the darkness, in the chains, in the, the abyss. They are in chains. Um, <clears throat> And this is a place that the demons don't want to go. And why were they begging Christ not to send them there? Because they realized that Christ had the authority to do what? To send them there. Alright? And um, you might say, well, what, what, why does God have this out there? I, I, and look, this is, this is my understanding of this. Understand, this is, this is my um, interpretation of this. But I think when you look at the New Testament, God controls the demons, right? God has control of them. They can only go so far and no farther. Because they realize if they go too far, what, God, what may God do to them? Send them to the abyss. Demons aren't in hell. Demons are free. Many demons are free. Demons are free right now. They're, 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 they're not in the abyss. But I, I, I just... When, when I look at the maniac of gatherings and I put all the passages together, I get the understanding that, that the abyss is a place that demons don't want to go to. There's a possibility they could be sent there, which I, I infer, understand, this is, this is my best understanding. My inference is that God has this place, the abyss, and if you're a demon and you, all go, you go too far, you have a possibility of being sent there. God has a control even on the demonic forces. I don't believe the abyss is an eternal place, but it is a place of confinement. And demons don't want to go there. And there are some demons that are there, and we know there are demons there because when the bottomless pit is open, some demons come out. So for them to come out, they have to be in there. Alright, Jude 6 has that, and Second Peter talks about that. And also, in Revelation 20, Satan is bound, and he is cast into the 
abyss. He's not cast into the lake of fire. We're going to talk about the lake of fire in a minute. He's cast into the abyss. And what happens after a thousand years? He's let out for a short period of time. Alright? So that's what the abyss is. Do you think demons can die? No. So that the pigs that ran over the edge of the cliff... They didn't die. The pigs died. The demons didn't. So the demons were just set free? Yeah. Demons... Demons, demons are an eternal, you know, they're, they're immortal in the sense that they never will die. Um, they can take, you know, um, physical form, in, in this case, in the matter of pig. Some people said, you know, the, unclean, the most unclean animal to the Jew couldn't stand a demon. <laughs> it, it committed suicide. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, they're vile. They, they don't die. Demons are fallen angels. Yes, they're, they're fallen angels. They're angels that, that followed Satan in his rebellion. And um, there's no redemption for them. There's no way back to God. Um, they were forever fixed in their decision and choice. They can't die. When I was in Jordan, city, I stayed for a month. Oh, Gadry? Gadara? Or... Where the pigs... Okay. The pigs ran down into the... Into the sea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I stayed there for a month. So that's, that's the abyss. It's, it's a place that the demons go. They're bound there. They don't want to go there. It's the bottomless pit. And then there's another thing called tartarosis. That's another word used in 2 Peter 2.4. And um, it's called a place of darkness, a place of confinement, a place of chains, of everlasting darkness. Um, a prison house. It's almost sort of like the prison. The spirits who are in prison, it talks about. And um, this appears to be a descriptive term for this place, the abyss. So you have the descriptive term Hades. What is it like? You look at hell. Gehenna, the burning fire, the worms. You talk about the um, formal place, the abyss. What's it like? It's a place of darkness, a place of confinement, a place of torment, a place of change. You can't get away. Um, and right now, there are a host of demons who are in this place of confinement. Um, some are there permanently. Some are there temporarily. We, all, we talked about that in Satan, Demons, and Angels, where you seem to have these two groups. But it's a place there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Second uh, Peter two four prison reference also what's talked about in two other references. One being First Peter three nineteen and Ephesians four four through eight, where it's talking about Christ going and preaching to the. This particular term is only used here in Second Peter. That term, all right. Um, yeah, and, and and reference you're talking to is when it talks about Christ who died and went and preached to the spirits in prison. And of course, there's a whole theology that says, well, he went back and he proclaimed the gospel and gave everybody a chance to, you know, accept him as savior and go to heaven. And no, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that when Christ died on the cross, he went down to evidently to the place of, of the abyss or whatever and said, guys, I won. It wasn't a proclamation of the gospel, it was a proclamation of victory. And that's a whole another topic. But I know that theology is out there, but that's not the one that I'm referring to. I'm referring to in conjunction with Ephesians 4, 4 through 8, where... He went and got the spirits in prison and... But, right, not yeah. though. Right, right. And that, that's a whole, that's a, another, we'll get to that. Um, but uh, yeah. we're going to get that in the next one on heaven. 
Okay, we'll get to that, that particular passage. But the prison there is different than this. This is a descriptive term for bound demons. It's not the other one. Alan, yeah. that, those passages in Ephesians, those passages are the basis for the, the text describing Christ descended into hell in both the Nicene and mm-hmm. the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Well, Christ descended into hell not in the sense that he went there for punishment. That's the word faith, boys. Remember? We talked about them where Christ actually went to hell and was tortured. That's not what the Bible teaches. Christ went there to proclaim his victory. Christ went there to, to, to triumph over it. Colossians talks about this. He went over to triumph over the demons and say, I won. You've lost. Now, eternally, that was all part of God's plan, but formally, he proclaimed his victory over the demonic forces. They did not win. It's a proclamation of victory, not, a, not an altar call. Um, when you look at the abyss in Hades, we talked about this. Apparently, the abyss is to demons what Hades is to men. It's a place of confinement, a place of torment. You don't want to go there as a demon. Um, it's punishment. And uh, again, we already talked about this in Luke 8. The, mani- the demons and the maniac of Gareth said, don't send us to the abyss. Don't make us go there. Which means that Christ had the authority to just, with a word, send them there. It shows his authority over de- demons. And by the way, that's, that's a wonderful passage to have in the back pocket when people say, well, you know, God and Satan are sort of equals, you know, and they're duking it out. No, there's no, there's no equality there. God is sovereign, and God could, God could in a, with a word, send every demon that ever, ever existed to, to the abyss immediately. So, God is sovereign. There is no worry about Satan actually pulling something off. The lake of fire. This is, the, um, this is really the final abode of all the unredeemed, both demons and humans. Well, it's, it shows up in Revelation 19 and 20. And there's also a hint of this in Daniel 7, and I think it's around verse 25, give or take, um, where Daniel 7 is talking about the final Antichrist, and it says he continued until his body was given over to the eternal flame. It talks about the eternal flame. Um, But this is really seen in Revelation chapter 19 and 20, and this refers to the final eternal abode of all the fallen demons, Satan, and unredeemed men. Satan is not the jailer of hell. You realize that. There are a lot of TV shows out today that sort of make Satan the jailer. You know, he's the warden of hell and his job is to torment the souls down there. And some of them escape and they have whole TV shows about, you know, some guy has to go and get all the escaped demons and bring them back and all the escaped people. That, that, is, that is pure fiction. Satan is not the warden of Hades. And he's not the warden of the lake of fire. He's an inmate. All the demons are inmates. There's no warden. Who's, who's the one that's the warden of the lake of fire? God is. <laughs> Satan isn't. Satan is an inmate. He's confined there. In Matthew 25:41, it says, that, Why was the lake of fire originally created? For Satan and his angels. It wasn't created for humans. God, God did not create the lake of fire as the eternal abode of human beings. He created it as the eternal abode of of the fallen angels, of Satan and the fallen angels. So the question then is, when was it created? Well, some say before the foundation of the world. Others say at the fall of Satan. You know, we can argue that fine point. It's not a, 
That's not a, um, an essential of faith. It's just that at some point God created this place of eternal torment for Satan and his angels. And through the fall of men, men became subject to that same eternal destiny, that eternal fate. But it wasn't created for humans. It was created for Satan and his angels. Um, is the lake of fire occupied at this point? No, it is not. Nobody is there at this time. It's empty. Nobody goes there. Nobody's there now at this time. When an unsaved person, a lost person dies, they go to Hades. They don't go to the lake of fire. That's an eternal thing. However, in Revelation chapter 20, we find, or 19, actually 19 and 20, Revelation 19 and 20, we find that there are the first two occupants of this place. That's the Antichrist and the false prophet. Um, when Christ comes back to establish his kingdom, he destroys the armies of the wicked and the Antichrist and the false prophet are brought before him and they are cast into the lake of fire. It says they are cast alive into the lake of fire. What does that mean? That is their final eternal destiny. They will never appear before the great white throne judgment. They are there forever. And what does that mean? What does that seem to hint? They get the maximum penalty. Whatever maximum penalty you can get for the lake of fire, the two that get it are the Antichrist and false prophet. They even beat Hitler out on that one. They are forever set there. And uh, an argument to some people say, well, you know, this is a lake of fire. They're going to be burned up. It's not going to have an eternal chamber of horrors, all this kind of stuff. Um, a thousand years later, when Satan is cast in the lake of fire, what does it say? Where the beast and the false prophet are. It's not where the beast and the false prophet were. <laughs> it's where the beast and the false prophet are. So a thousand years later, guess where they're at? They're still in the lake of fire. They're still there. They're still conscious. They're still being tormented forever. That's the first two occupants. And sometimes when we talk theologically, we use hell and sort of interchangeably with the lake of fire, but technically the lake of fire is not hell. It is not Gehenna. It is not Hades. It is the eternal boat of the dam. But we sort of use the terms interchangeably to some extent. Yeah. Revelation chapter 20, I think, verse 10. Is it 10? No, it's, 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 I think it's about verse 10, I think is where it is. Verse 10? Revelation 20.10 talks about that. Satan, Satan is the third occupant of this eternal place of the damned. All right? Um, that's the lake of fire. What is the lake of fire like? Well, what's the description like? It's a lake that burns with brimstone. It's an eternal lake. It never goes out. It never stops. The, and, and descriptively, Christ says, where the worm dies not and the fire is never quenched. It never goes out. And, you know, again, there are people that say, look, you know, God is a God of love. He would never do that. I mean, come on. I mean, God is too kind and too loving to have this eternal, in the words of one man I heard, eternal chamber of horrors. Well, let me tell you, we learned this back in theology proper, right? If you want to find out what is God like, where do you go? You go to the Bible. You don't go to your own human speculation. You don't go to what you think is fair. You don't go to what you think other people think is fair. You don't go there because you're, you have a fallen mind. You can't think right. Your mind is fallen. If you want to find out what God is like, you go ask God what He is like and He will tell you what He is like. And in Revelation 14, let's turn there. Let's look at Revelation 14. 
This is, this is probably the definitive passage on this. When somebody wants to tell you that you know, this place is just a temporary place and come on, God would never do that. He would never um, send somebody there forever. Let's look at Revelation chapter 14. Um, verse uh, 19. Or actually verse 9. Let's start in verse 9. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also shall drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with what? Fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they shall have no rest day or night, those worshippers of the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark on his name. What is that saying? The smoke of their torment ascends up forever. Can you torment a non-sentient thing? No. You can't torment something forever if that something doesn't exist forever. This is an eternal torment. And who's saying it? God's saying it. And some of us, I know there's some people that worry, say, well, if I get to heaven, am I going to watch the torments of the lost? No, you're not. In the presence of who? The Lamb and the holy angels. This isn't a forever thing, folks. This is not, you don't go there and get out. You don't go there and work off your sins for a few million years as the purgatory concept and get out. You go there, you're there forever, you never get out. It's an eternal thing. How did, how did everybody come up with the word purgatory? It's not even in the Bible. That's, that's a man-made theology. It's a man-made theology. What's uh, hell like? It's a place of unquenchable fire. Never goes out. Always burns. It doesn't get any less. It doesn't abate at all. It's a place of memory and remorse. When you go to hell or Hades, you're going to be able to remember everything. You're, you're, not going, to, you're going to remember your life. You're going to remember the good things. Remember in, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, what did Abraham say? Remember in your life you had good. Remember that. Remember the good that you had. Remember the beauty and the sunsets that you saw and the, the joys that you had in life. People in hell are going to remember all of the joys of life which is going to make their torment even worse. It's a place of no hope. I think that in, in comparison to Luke 16, 19, etc., I think Revelation 22 points out that the opposite of true for the, is true for the redeemed, that we don't remember. Right. When you get to heaven, you're not going to remember the follow-ups you made in life, which is sort of a good thing, right? We're going to talk about that in the heaven part next week. When you get to heaven, I'm not going to remember all the times I failed. But when you go to hell, you're going to remember all the chances you had. And you're going to remember it perfectly, forever. It's a place of thirst, of deprivation. The idea there is deprivation, thirst, uh, hunger, uh, no satisfaction. No, no relief of any of the lust that you might have had in life. There's no, there's no escape. It's also a place of misery and pain. And, and I, you can't come up with enough words to describe this. It's, and, and that's why one of the things, you know, you, you, you see movies on hell and you read books on hell. 
or people supposedly went there and back. Look, folks, nothing, nothing the human imagination has ever come up with is close to what hell is really like. Hollywood has not yet made a movie to give you really what hell is going to be like. They've come up, they might try to come approximately to it, but no one has gotten there. It's a place of horror beyond our comprehension to, to understand horror. It's a place of eternal horror. It's a place of frustration and anger. Gnashing of teeth, it talks about. The Bible talks about gnashing of teeth. Cursing God for eternity. In agony and pain, gnashing your teeth. It's a place of eternal separation. The concept here is people have lived... And I, run, I run into some of these people say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. And someday God is going to say, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. It's going to be a place of forever separation. You will never be separated. Be close to God. God. God is going to abandon you to your sin. One more thing, and I'll be quiet. My dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he was in the hospital, he described something that was straight out of the movie Ghost. Remember at the, at the very mm-hmm. end of the movie where the guy died, the evil guy died, and all these little black creatures came up and started mm-hmm. going all over the place. Well, my dad described that to a team that was in his hospital room. He was dying, and they were going up the dang wall. These old black creatures mm-hmm. were going up the wall. But he was going on that attention. Yeah. You don't know. I mean, the Bible, the Bible seems to indicate when you die as a... Again, I don't think the demons are down tormenting people in hell in Hades. They're not there. They don't want to be there because it reminds them of where they're going to be. They're probably as far away from that as possible. But our human mind, we, we like to fill in the blanks a little bit and think of the horror. And, you know, Hollywood's very good at that. Um, I think whatever hell is, it's beyond our ability to imagine the horror of it. It's, it's beyond... You could, not think, you could not imagine what it is like. In, in, your, in your wildest speculation, you could not get close to it. Finally, it's a place of undiluted divine wrath. You're under the wrath of God forever. You're under the wrath of eternal God. And it's not going to let up. It's not going to stop. It's not going to quit. It's an originally prepared for Satan and his angels. God didn't create it for humans. We go there because of our sin, but God does not. He did not design it for us. It's a place of all eternity. They're, they're, again, they're, they're, you don't get out. Think about existing forever in a place of torment. You don't get away from it. You don't escape it. And it is a place of differing degrees of punishment. Hell is not the same, and I'm talking about eternal hell, lake of fire. It's not the same for everyone. It's not the same degree of torment. Not everybody was the same, had the same amount of evil as other people had. It's a place of differing degrees of punishment. And how do you know that? Well, Christ indicates that the one who knew his master's will and sin shall be beaten with many stripes. The one who did not know his master's will and sin will be beaten with few stripes. That seems to be an indication. But I think here's the other real indication of this. When you turn to Revelation chapter 20, um, how many more slides do I have to go here? I want to make sure I don't get ahead of myself. Okay. Oh, 12, I'm done. I'm dead. Um, I won't get through them. Um, 
We might have to finish it up next week but, and then go out into heaven, which is a good thing. But let's look at Revelation chapter 20, um, verse 10 or verse 11. This is, this is the final judgment. This is the eternal end. It said, um, I saw a great white throne, 11, verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it from his presence, the earth and the sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. What's, what's, uh, what does John see? John sees a great white throne. What does white signify in the Bible? Purity, Purity holiness. And who's sitting on it? Specifically, which member of the Trinity? Christ. Christ. Why? How do you know that? Because he's the judge. Remember, Christ said the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. So Christ is on the throne. And it says, I saw the dead, small and great. The, the summons is given to the dead. And guess what? Everybody shows up. This is one court date you're not going to skip. If, you're, if you do not know the Lord, this is one court date you will not miss. You will be there. You will stand before the great white throne. And who's there? Well, the small and the great, right? There, there are people that are just, you know, nothing. You don't even know their name. And then there's the Hitlers and the Stalins and the big bad guys of, of our history. The rich are going to be there. The poor are going to be there. The wealthy, the powerful, the strong, the weak. All who have died without Christ, all who have died apart from salvation are going to stand there. They're going to be called and said, I saw the sea give up the dead which were in it. In the Jewish mentality, that was, if you went down to the bottom of the sea, that was where you could never be retrieved from. And even the sea gives up the dead. And Hades, what's Hades? Hades is the place of temporary confinement. What happens there? That gives up all of the dead. Every human being that has ever lived apart from salvation, apart from Christ, is going to stand at this judgment. They're going to be there. They're going to stand before this great white throne. And what's going to happen? What is God going to do? Well, the books are going to be open. What books are those? The books are their deeds, right? Because it said they were judged according to their deeds. Now, understand, this is not a judgment to say, well, let's see if you make it. <laughs> let's see if uh, you know, we made a little mistake and sent you to the wrong spot. Let's see if your good outweighs your bad. There's no question about your eternal destiny at this point. The question is, how bad is it going to be? Now, why is that? Why, why are the books open? It seems to me that if hell, eternal lake of fire, is the same for every human being, the same for every person, why is there a need for a judgment? Think about that. Right? If it's the same... If you're in the same torment, if you're in the same agony, there's no need for a judgment. When you die, you could just go to this eternal place and be done with it. There's no need to have the books open. There's no need to stand before God. There's no need to give an account. You're just going to go there forever, right? It's the same sentence. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing, no need for this. But I think in this text, you can make the argument that the dead are judged from the books. Why? To determine how bad is it going to be for you. And here's the question. When an evil person dies, is their sin over with? Can they commit more sin? Is their sin over with? 
The effects continue on. Think of Adolf Hitler when he died. The effects of his evil live on to today, right? Now, what do you know about God? God is perfectly just, right? So, for God to be perfectly just, Hitler is going to be held accountable not only for the evil he committed, for his evil influence that lived on, for all the pain, all the agony, all the evil that he did, he's going to be held accountable for that. The great white throne, folks, is when the game is over. It's like Monopoly. You know, when the game is over, somebody goes bankrupt, you count up your money, the game is over. Here's the game is over. Time is done. Human time is done. And God is going to call every human being that ever lived to give an account of what they did in their life, and not only what they did in their life, but the evil that lived on, and it's all going to be held accountable to them. They're all going to stand there and give an account for every evil deed they did. And there's not going to be any argument. There's not going to be anybody saying, well, you know, you got that one wrong, God. The, the, the records are clear. The records are there for everybody to see. You're not going to bamboozle your way out of this court. You're not going to talk the judge into a reduced sentence. There's no mercy here, folks. There's no, there's no sympathetic judge. <laughs> I have a sympathetic judge now because I've asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. He's my sympathetic high priest. There's no sympathetic high priest here. There's inflexible justice. And every deed that every person ever committed is going to be brought into account. The sentence is going to be read. And a final, a final check is going to be made of the book of life. We're going to talk about the book of life later on. But what is in the book of life? That is the name of every human being that has ever lived that is part of God's eternal heaven. The, the saved, the redeemed. And the, and the search is going to be made and the name is not going to be found. Well, they're going to plead their case, too. So they're going to have that book of life open. And so when they I don't leave, think they're going to... There's not... Yeah. You know, but I did these things in your name and well, your name's not there. Your name's not there. I don't know you. I do not know you. And no human being is going to have a good defense because you're going to be nailed. The, the evidence is there. And what happens? You're cast alive into the lake of fire. The second death. And you're never going to get out of there. And that is the last... Understand, that is the last time you will ever see God. That is the last time you will ever be without agony and pain. That is the last time you will ever see any light. You're going to be cast into eternal darkness forever and ever and ever. And you'll never get out. Yep. Yep. Anybody who has died apart from Christ is in this place. In Hades. Someday it'll be the lake of fire. Well, we're out of time here. I went one minute over. Don't tell anybody. Um, we will finish this up next week, and I'll have um, slides on the next section, which is heaven, which is a little nicer than this one. This is sobering, folks. You need to stop and think about this. That most people you know are going to be standing here. And they're not going to get out of it. And um, it's a sobering thing. So, Father, thank You for this time we've had to study Your Word. And it's a very sobering and disturbing thing to study. It's one of those topics you really don't want to look at and think about. But we have to. We have to because... Uh, a lot of people we know are going to be here. I pray that we would be witnesses and testimonies and share your good news and warn people of the wrath to come. 
that they may avoid this place. Help us to be a witness and a testimony while we're alive and share the good news. And we thank you, Father, that you saved us from this place. Because of our faith in you, we know you and someday we'll be with you in heaven. And we'll never have to go here and be abandoned by you for eternity. Thank you for this day and help us to ponder these truths in Christ's name. Amen.